Good morning, Crossroads Ministries. It's great. To, oh, there we go. It's great to be worshiping with you guys here this morning. Um, I we get some lights on. You guys like the backdrop? It's, it's the last time it's going to be here. Um, we had 300 plus kids this week uh, worshiping, making a loud and joyful noise here in this auditorium. We're going to do the same thing this morning. Let's stand as we worship our great Savior. For those of you who are joining us online, we want to thank you for tuning in and worshiping with us here this morning as well. Here we go. And praise the weapon that's silences the enemy. And praise the weapon that conquers all anxiety. Let it rise. Let praise arise. Keep your name in the dark and it changes everything. We speak with all we are and we claim your victory. Lord, this morning for that song of praise. 
going to join us this morning as we sing this next hymn. Good morning, we have a seat. 
It's good to be with you all. Welcome, welcome. Glad that you're all here. It's, it's truly been an exciting morning here at Crossroads, and it's not over yet. We've got a lot of stuff planned for you this morning. We're thrilled that you're here. I want to welcome all of our guests. Please stop by the Welcome Center. We would love to talk with you. We also have a gift for you by just saying thanks for being here with us this morning. Uh, welcome those joining us online. Listen, um, my name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here at Crossroads, and I had the privilege of coaching uh, basketball this week at our mega sports camp. It was an awesome week. It was truly a great week, and God did amazing things. Um, and so I want to show you a quick clip um, of what happened here at our uh, mega sports camp this week. So check out this video. morning. As you can see, we just had a little bit of fun this week uh, here at Mega Sports Camp. And we're going to start off. You guys ready to sing your, your song for the, everybody? Nice and loud. All right. Let's be nice, nice and loud. Play games. It's about to get real. I am an overcomer. On this word I stand. I get more than a conqueror. It's his plan. We are called the God. He is the ultimate. So let's get fired up. Yeah, come on, let's go. Omega. Omega. 
much louder throughout the week. That was a very mild version of that song. Um, so this week we had over 300 kids that we saw coming through um, the camp, and uh, we had a fantastic time. So thank you to all the parents for bringing your kids every day. Uh, it was a pleasure having your little ones. And um, it couldn't be possible without of our many, many volunteers. If you helped out for the week, if you could stand up, we just want to recognize you and thank you for your dedication all week long. Thank you very much. So we had we had over 70 adult helpers that helped throughout the week, um, and then we also had over 50 teenagers that stepped up and helped out throughout the week, and they did an excellent job. They did an excellent job. So thank you to everybody, and um, and the kids are going to tell you a little bit about their week. Yes. All right. So in art, Michaela. Oh, there you are in the back. I'm like, where are you? All right, Michaela, what was your favorite part of the week at VBS? Tie-dye and doing arts. Doing all the crafts and art. Yeah, they tie-dyed. Very cool. All right, in cooking, we had Erilyn. Come here, Erilyn. What was your favorite thing that you made? Um, a cake. They baked cakes. They made like a, a stacked cake. It was really cool. They made stuff all week. It smells so good. All right, basketball, CJ. Tell me, buddy, what was your favorite part of basketball? Um, doing the scrimmages. Scrimmaging each other. Cool. And Rhett, where are you at, buddy? Football. What was your favorite part? Doing a one-handed catch touchdown. One-handed catch touchdown. That's awesome. Sierra, how about in cheer? What was your favorite part? The stunts. Yeah, they did some stunts on stage. They performed for us on the day five at the halftime rally. It was awesome. All right, and Milani, what was your favorite part of dance and gymnastics? Um, I like to um, duck. Yeah, they danced on stage for us too. Day five, they performed up here. And Elliot, soccer. What was your favorite part of soccer, buddy? I'm um, um, doing sharks and minnows. Fun. Sharks and minnows. Soccer. All right. And then um, throughout the week, we uh, collected an uh, offering, uh, and we had a competition between the boys and the girls. And uh, CJ, why don't you tell everybody what we collected money for? Um, Compassion International in Ecuador. 
Yes, we collected money for a church in Ecuador. Um, they they receive kids that are part of Compassion International. So all the money that we brought in um, is going to go to help this church uh, continue to, to feed the kids and provide different things for them. And they, they teach um, the Bible story to these kids. And it's a really it's a really cool church, and it's a, a great cause. So we're excited. And, and Jace, how much money did you guys bring in? Over $2,500. And like I said, it was a friendly competition between the boys and the girls. And Jace, who won? The boys. The boys won. Yes. Give it up, boys. And then, um, CJ, what did did the boys get to do to the girl leaders? Um, They got to pie them in the face and then silly string them. Yes, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I think there was a, a picture in there, so. <laughs> All right, and boys and girls, every day we talked about good vibes only, and vibes stands for the things that we learn each day, our mega points. And so we're going to show everyone what our mega points. What was day one? You're going to do it nice and loud. Show them the actions. Are you ready? Yeah, what was day two? Very good. What about day three? I am And day four? Very good. And what was our last day? Day five. Awesome job. And then we also learned a verse from Hebrews. And so they sang a song for that, to, to learn that song all week. And so they did really good. You guys ready? up on the screen if you didn't memorize it, but I know a lot of you did. Go ahead. Do Very good. Great job. All right, Miss Lindsay's going to come up and tell us a little bit about what the preschoolers did downstairs all week. All right, good morning, church. Uh, my name is Lindsay, and I helped out downstairs this week. Um, so each day we welcomed between 60 and 70 preschoolers downstairs. Um, they were broken up into teams every day, so they got little special armbands that they got to wear all week. Um, and our day looked similar but was obviously um, age-appropriate for downstairs to what's happening up here. We started our day with a rally. It was a lot less rambunctious than it is up here. It sounded sort of like elephants or thunder downstairs when we were letting their rally go on, and then we knew ours was coming. Um, So we played a lot of games. We uh, sang songs. They got to learn all of the verses, um, and we just had a really great group of kids this week. Um, The morning um, after our uh, our rally in the morning, each of the children got to move in within their different teams to our different rooms. So that included um, a Bible uh, message and story with Mrs. Metcalf. Um, they got to do a related craft and learn some other things with Miss Lori in her room. And then we had three different areas where they were learning uh, about different sports and just getting to move. Um, I think the playground is usually the most popular um, session of the day, so they all got to go do that. Um, but then they also learned a lot of different um, skills related related to the sports, so things like soccer skills, and they got to uh, um, throw the ball to each other. They played lots of game, tug and war, tug of war, all kinds of fun stuff down there. So we had a really great group. Um, <laughs> we had a great group. Uh, and at the end of the week, um, something that um, Deb Metcalf, who was the one who led all of our Bible stories, um, 
had some children who were really starting to feel like their heart was being moved um, for Jesus. And so on two separate occasions, we had the pleasure of praying with two of our little boys um, downstairs and helping them to accept, yes, absolutely, um, helping them to accept Jesus into their heart. And they got a Bible to take home. And that's the reason that that we're here. So that was really exciting. So um, I'm going to go down the line and ask some of our preschoolers what their favorite part of the week was. All right. So this is Gabby. And Gabby, what was one of your favorite things you did this week at Mega Sports Camp? Um, crafts. The crafts, absolutely. And Christine, this is Christine. What was one of your favorite things you did this week? Crafts. The crafts, of course. And hey, Malachi, what was one of your favorite things that you got to do this week? Craft. Crafts, okay, very good. All right, Carter, what else did you enjoy at Mega Sports Camp besides the crafts that Miss Lori helped you do? The playground. The playground, of course. All right, Lana. This is Lana. Lana, what was something you enjoyed doing at Mega Sports Camp this week? Ice cream. Oh, yes, we had an ice cream truck on the last day. That was the best. All right, Evelyn, what did you enjoy at camp this week? Ice cream. Of course, we all like that. Effa, come here. Effa, what was something you enjoyed doing this week at Mega Sports Camp? Snack. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and Violet, what was something that you enjoyed doing this week at Mega Sports? Um, the playground. The playground. All right. Well, thank you. Let's clap for our preschoolers. <laughs> All right, boys and girls, let's sing our unbelievable song for everyone nice and loud.
Good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing today? So, my name is Luke, if you don't know me. I got the privilege of teaching our fifth graders and sixth graders for VBS. So, I brought a couple of them up here with me. We did something a little bit different, kind of similar to preschool. We, uh, we kind of changed up the theme a bit so that we could, we could teach them at a fifth grade and sixth grade level. The theme of the week was into the thick of it, with the message being that God is with us. So here I have Corinne, Myla, and Wyatt, and my questions for you guys. What was your favorite game that we played, and what was your favorite lesson? My favorite game was Nine Square, and my favorite lesson was about Esther. Nice, Esther. Esther's good. My favorite game was Slip and Slide Kickball, and my favorite lesson was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nice, nice. And Wyatt? My favorite lesson was David and Goliath, and my favorite game was Live Inside Kickball. Nice. Give them a hand, guys. You guys are good. Thank you so much. Yeah, so we got to do a whole bunch of stuff. We got to hang out, have fun, play games, and do some lessons because I wanted to give them an opportunity to learn at where they are. And so day one, we talked about, we talked about Gideon and the 300. And what Gideon taught us was that no matter the odds, no matter what's against us, God is with us. And then day two, we talked about the fiery furnace and Daniel. And they taught us that no matter the trends of the world, God is with us. And then day three, we talked about Esther, and that Esther taught us that no matter our what-ifs, no matter our anxieties, God is with us. And then day four, we got to hang out with everybody here, and we got to talk about the gospel, and that no matter what, Jesus loves us. And then day five, our last day, we got to talk about David and Goliath, and David taught us that no matter our fear, God is with us. So we had a really fun time just sharing the word with them, going through the Bible of how God was with all these certain people. And because these were true stories, we know God is with us now. So thank you guys for listening. And here's Pastor Ken with our message.
All right, what an incredible week we've had here. Just want to thank our great God for all that He's done here in the church. Aren't you thankful to be in a church that's alive? You know, thanks be to God for that. We have an incredible church family. I want to thank God for all the people that were here serving all week. Um, You know, the heat was extraordinary out there. People were running around, uh, not used to running around like that, and ended up running around and being really hot. We even had one guy, one of our leaders, Daryl Nath, Daryl Nath Sr., he he had a surgery that was supposed to be this week. And so he ended up, they had to move his surgery up, and he ended up coming back like a day or two later. Now, I'll tell you what, you're running around, he was helping with football out there. He has surgery. Um, You know, there's no such thing as minor surgery. Minor surgery is on somebody else, not on you, right? So he had this surgery done, and he comes back and serves a day or two later here for the rest of the week. I want to thank God for people like that. Amen? Thank God for our church. A lot of good people here. And so as we've been looking this week, you know, I was watching the kids. I would come in the auditorium, and I would sit there, and I would hear the the messages that they were getting, uh, powerful Bible lessons. And then uh, all their their main points, and it took me to like Thursday to realize that their main points were this acrostic vibes, you know. I'm like, oh, I'm like Thursday, they do the, uh, the, the, you know, V-I-B-E, they got down there. I'm like, hey, isn't that cool? It kind of makes an acrostic. Who who came up with that idea, right? So so they're going through this, and they're they're giving this, and then they give this main verse for the week, which I thought was powerful, Hebrews 10.35. Let's read it together. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Now we're teaching kids this, to not throw away their confidence. I I want you to catch this because the apostle, uh, the, the writer of Hebrews says here that the confidence in the Lord. Do not throw away your confidence in the Lord. Do not throw away your confidence. Remember the great reward that it brings you. You know, the world will try to tell you to be confident. The world will try to give you confidence in everything under the sun. Um, I have been, you know, through many seminars that try to build your self-esteem, build your, uh, your confidence in who you are, build your confidence in what you do, your, your job, all these things, how to build confidence. Well, the greatest confidence that you will ever find is in Jesus Christ. And this is what we gave the kids this week. We gave them the confidence, and we, we told them over and over and over, do not throw away this confidence in Jesus. Remember the great reward that it brings you. Well, what is the great reward that it brings you? So they gave them these different, different verses and different things to help them throughout the week. We've been in a study. We're going on your bulletin. It says exiles. We're studying the book of First Peter. He wrote it to a group of exiles. In the very first verse, he says, Peter, an apostle. And last week, we looked at, at Peter being an apostle and uh, the life of Peter. And he says, to the exiles that have been dispersed. And so some translations will use the word pilgrim there. Some will use the word exiles. Some will use the word um, sojourners, foreigners. And here's the idea. We are exiles. These people here, the background of the book of First Peter Rome, Nero, the ruler of Rome, had burnt down the city of Rome. And he blames it on this new movement of the, of the Christians. They were the followers of Christ. 
So there was persecution coming after these Christ followers. And they are running rampant. They're running all over, trying, you know, spread out everywhere, this, the, the diaspora as we know it. And so they're spread out all over the place. And as they're spread out all over the place, Peter writes a letter to them and says, to the, to the exiles. Now, we just learned here from Hebrews, so do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Peter follows up with this in his letter. Peter says, here, let me show you the great reward. And he starts out to the exiles, and then he comes in, and he gives us what I would say is the great reward. Look here, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So the reward, I'm going to look at three rewards that Peter shows us here for, uh, for uh, following Christ. Now I want you to catch this because when you hear the word reward in scripture, don't ever think it's something that I've earned. We, we're, we're Americans, and we have this concept that I got a reward. I studied hard. I got rewarded. Therefore, I got the A. That's me. The reward was at the cross. Jesus paid the price on the cross for you once for all forever, and he died once and paid for your sin, and that's the free gift of eternal life. A gift is not a reward. You don't get God's gift to you is not a reward for something that you have done. So when you're seeing this in Scripture, he's saying, look, there's the reward is the benefits of Jesus. Now check this out. As you're following Christ, there are benefits. And I'm going to show you three of them here from the Scripture here. He says, blessed be the God and Father, in verse 3, of our Lord Jesus Christ, because of his great mercy. Because of the mercy of God. Now, mercy is not getting what you deserve. Because of God's mercy, he doesn't separate us from him because of the mercy of God. If I get what I deserve, Romans 3.23 says that the wages of sin is death. This is separation from God forever and ever and ever. God says, the scripture says here, because of his great mercy. Because God said, you know what? You ought to be separated from me forever and ever, but I'm choosing not to. And here's how he does it, through the new birth. Now, if you, if you haven't had the new birth, you're still separated from God. God wants you to have this new birth. And he says you're a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we have this, the, the first thing I'm going to give you is hope. Trust the Lord. You can trust the Lord because he gives us hope. And it's not just hope like, yeah, you know, many times we'll, we'll use the word hope very casually. Like, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. Well, in Pittsburgh, that's a lost hope, right? <laughs> it's going to rain tomorrow. You know that. You can just bank on that. Uh, trust in the Lord. He gives us hope. Hope is that this is confidence of something yet to come. And he has given us confidence through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is our living hope. As you look at this, folks, this is the reward. You see, the new birth, and you may have heard people use the, the term born again, the new birth. 
And some people were a little afraid of that term because they don't understand what it means. Well, here's where that all came from. Jesus, as he was ministering, he has an encounter with one of the religious leaders of that day. Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee, and he comes to Jesus at night, and he knocks on Jesus' door. Now, as a religious leader, for him to humble himself and do this, he had to do it at night. Because people would really question him. Why are you talking to Jesus? He is not on the same team as we are. Who, who, who do you think you are going and talking to him? So he comes to Jesus and he knocks on his door at night and he says, Hey, I, I want to know more. And Jesus explains to him. He says that you must be born again. You, you, you must have this new birth experience. Uh, you were born, and, and Nicodemus is like, I just don't understand. What are you talking about? And, and Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born. You were already born of the flesh. You remember, you know your birthday. Now you must be born of the Spirit of God. You must have a, a new birth, the Spirit of God, when you're born into the Spirit of God. And he says, look, you, you have to have this. And so Peter takes that terminology and he says, we've been given this new birth, and this new birth gives us hope. You know, we gave this message to the kids all week about the new birth of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we want them to have this birth early in life. We don't want them to have to uh, be 20 or 30 or 50 or 60 years old so they have that new birth. They need hope now. You know, the world that we live in is hopeless. Ephesians chapter 2 says that at one time, you, were, you also were without hope. There was a time in my life that I can look back in my life and say I was without hope. Before you came to Jesus, you were without hope. There was no hope. There was no confident assurance of anything future bound. Jesus has risen from the dead, and if you're willing to trust him, you're willing to give your heart to him, he then gives you this living hope, and you have a living hope. I'm so thankful that we're not having some dead orthodoxy. This is not something that is just some ancient script that you must make a mental assent to. This is a living hope. You can place your life in this. And I'll just share my little story. I have placed my trust in this. That's why I'm here. That's why many people come here weekly and worship, because we have found the living hope. It's the new birth. God gives us the new birth. Part of the new birth is he gives us a living hope. Did you know that most Americans are unhappy with their lives? I read a survey that said that. Most Americans are unhappy with their lives, especially when it comes to their job, their work, citing a lack of sense of purpose. Now, we live in the land of good and plenty. We live in the land of opportunity. And most Americans will tell you that they really struggle with their sense of purpose and that they're unhappy with their job and they're unhappy with so much of life as we know it here. I was just recently in Ecuador with our team. And as we were there, you meet somebody that works for $10 a day. Go work eight, ten-hour days, and you make $10 a day. I think a bricklayer, being a skilled laborer, was $20 a day. Probably nobody in this church would work laying brick for $20 a day. And yet, we're unhappy with our job. And, and let me just say this. It's because you can't find happiness in what you do. 
Most of us, we go out and we said, we, we've been set up. Our society has set us up crazy. When you were a little kid, you were asked, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? We asked these little kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. I want to do this, right? And we set up dreams of success. And as we look at this, we've got to be careful because that's not where the happiness is found. My happiness is not found in what I do. Even as a pastor, my happiness, my purpose is not found in my vocation. It's found in a person. It's found in Jesus. Um, Henry David Thoreau, he said, Most men lead lives of quiet desperation. I thought that was so true. Quiet desperation. Frustrated. And I think a lot of men, if you'd be honest, you face that. You just, you know, you're mad a lot. You're just dealing with the desperation. And there's something gnawing at your soul at times. You know, when you're young, you begin to start to ask this question. What's my purpose? What is the purpose of life? And as you do that, we've been looking at these kids here this week. You know, that's what they're asking. They're asking, what is the purpose of life? And I want you to think about that. What is the purpose of life? As you go through and you look at what, what's the purpose of life, um, you want something that's worth giving your life to. My, uh, my nephews were in for this past week. One of my nephews, Miles, he's uh, 15 years old. He went to Ecuador with us. And I had a, you know, just kind of debriefing afterwards and talking to him throughout the week. I said, hey, you know, what, what really made you want to go to Ecuador? And he said something to this effect. He said, you know what? I'm looking for something that's bigger than me. I want to give my life to something. I'm looking for purpose. I'm looking for meaning in life. And you know what? Miles is on the track to find it. He's finding it in the purpose of Jesus. He's not going to find it on a trip. He's not going to find it in going on vacation. Listen, these kids, they can go anywhere. Uh, these kids that were here this week, there's 300 of them here. They could have went anywhere. There's camps going on all over the place. You can go entertain anywhere. I went to Kennywood one afternoon. I saw a few of them out there. Listen, they're coming here because they're finding purpose. And you see, this is the reward that God gives us. That's what Hebrews, the author of Hebrews was talking about. The reward is the purpose. You find your purpose. You find this hope in Jesus Christ. Think with me about Peter who wrote this letter that we're studying. Peter is writing to, the, to these exiles. Peter one day was living a monotonous life. He was a fisherman by trade. Do you know how exciting being a fisherman by trade is? You get up. You throw your nets out. Fish come in the net. You pull them in. You sell your fish. You dry out your net. You fold them. You put them away. You know what you do on Tuesday? You throw your net out. You get fish in the net. You sell your fish. You dry them. You fold them away. And Peter was doing this. It was like Groundhog Day in his life. You know? Remember that movie Groundhog Day? Just over and over and over, right? And he was dealing with monotony. And one day, he's sitting there, he's folding the nets, and there was this man named Jesus, the son of the living God, he claimed to be. He came and he stood in the boat and he's talking all over to the shore. It made a natural amphitheater. And Jesus would teach there in this natural amphitheater. And as he was teaching, here's Fisherman Peter going through his monotonous life. And he's folding his nets up. And day after day, here's Jesus teaching. And he kept listening and he kept listening. And then one day, this man Jesus came over to him and he said, Peter, 
follow me and your monotony will end. I will make you fishers of men. I'll give you a purpose that is so much bigger than anything you've ever met. Follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. And you know what Peter did? He folded his nets and he became a fisher of men with Jesus Christ. And Peter is the one who's giving us these lessons. You see, hope burned deep within the soul of Peter. And Peter had this hope. Life was no longer monotonous. Even the wealthy deal with this. Powerful people suffer from boredom. People, we deal with hopelessness in no matter what level of life that you're in. The King Solomon, the author of Ecclesiastes, he says that life is basically meaningless. He uses the word, he says, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. In the Hebrew, that word is like a soap bubble. When you were a kid, you remember playing with soap bubbles? That's back before we had showers. I remember I didn't have a shower growing up. All we had was a tub. And you got in there and you played with them soap bubbles. <laughs> and it was fun. But it was over. And that's what he says that life is like. Man, you know, you got your driver's license. <laughs> that was fun. It's over. And you got to go to the next tie and the next tie and the next tie. And he says it's just a big cycle. So you need this purpose and meaning. And that's where Jesus came and he gave us this purpose and meaning. And so, so that Jesus, all his promises came true. I want you to remember that. All his promises came true when he rose from the dead. And maybe you're here today and you say, well, what about this whole resurrection? I, I'll just tell you, Jesus died and rose again the third day. And what about the resurrection? How do we know it really happened? Well, I'm going to give you three thoughts on that this morning. Number one, uh, we, we, have the, uh, we have the fact that Jesus predicted his own death and his resurrection. Jesus told his disciples this would happen, and it happened. Um, Peter, Peter responded, Lord, don't say they're going to arrest you on my watch. <laughs> he, Peter didn't understand what had to happen. Jesus had to go through the death so that he could prove the ultimate power of the resurrection, and Jesus rises from the dead. So we have, number one, he predicted it, and it came true. Number two, we have eyewitness accounts. We have individual eyewitness accounts, and we have group eyewitness accounts. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that give us the eyewitness accounts of more than 500 eyewitnesses. We have more proofs for those texts than any other text around today. There's more proof for the accuracy of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John than the writings of Shakespeare, and everybody just accepts Shakespeare without even thinking about it. Let me tell you, you've got more, there's been more research, and I can give you that information at greater length, but let me just tell you, when you open up and you read the life of Jesus by John, you get an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus from John. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If, you're not, if you've never read the Bible, go home and start with the book of John. And then go back with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And people ask me, where should I read? If you just read that the rest of your life, you're going to be pretty good. You're going to find out everything about Jesus, and he will transform your life. And you will see that this is a true, not a story. These are not stories. This is history. The true history of Jesus rose from the dead. And let me tell you, there's a big difference, because George Washington was the first president of the United States, and that is true history, but it won't change your life. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead will change your life, 
and you can place your life in your trust in him and get that living hope. And number three, we have the changed lives of the followers of Jesus Christ. Man, the followers of Jesus Christ, they, they ended up dying for him. And as they died for him, listen, you, will, you would never die for something that you knew was a lie. These people, they said, we saw him. They ended up dying. Peter himself being crucified upside down on a cross, upside down. And so I want to encourage you with that. These are the, 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 the proofs that we have. And there's so many more. The Jewish historian Josephus, he reported, jo- Josephus was not a follower of Christ, but he even reported that, we ha- that the followers of Christ saw Jesus alive. Let me just read to you a few, a few quotes from a few people. This is Sir Edward Clark. He was a British lawyer. He says, as a lawyer, I have made a prolonged study on the, evidence for, uh, on the evidences for the events of the first Easter day, the resurrection. For me, the evidence is conclusive. Over and over again in the high courts, I have secured a verdict on evidence not nearly as compelling is that for the resurrection? I've secured, a lawyer says, I have made, I, I have gotten people convicted on less than what I have for the resurrection. So therefore, the, it is conclusive for me. He rose from the dead. Frank Morris, this was another atheist. He decided to write a book showing that Jesus was a farce. And then he did write a book after he studied the resurrection and he ends up becoming a follower of Jesus Christ because the evidence just demanded the verdict that Jesus is alive. He wrote the book. He, uh, the first chapter of the book he wrote was called The Book That Refused to Be Written. It was about his conversion and his evidence for the resurrection. Author Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel one time worked for the for the uh, Chicago Tribune. He was an investigative reporter. And Lee Strubble, his wife, became a follower of Jesus. And he set out and he said, I am going to disprove that Jesus is alive. I'm going to disprove Christianity because I am not into this whatsoever. And so he started an investigative journey. He goes on his journey. And as he goes on to his journey, he gets all the information and he says, I cannot help but say that Jesus is alive and I must give my life to Jesus. Look at what he says there. He says the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the best attested to event of the ancient world. He would go on to write a book known as The Case for Christ. If you're struggling with some of the evidences for the resurrection, I'd encourage you to look that up. You could download it on Kindle later on this afternoon. The Case for Christ. The, 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 the overwhelming support for the resurrection. And, folks, it's through the resurrection that we have this living hope. We don't just have, I think so. I don't just have what Mama told me. We're, we're not just handing down something that Mama told. We're giving you a living hope. So that's reward number one. Reward number two is an inheritance. Man, that's the second thing in your notes. Trust in the Lord, for we have an inheritance. Not only do we have the resurrected Lord, not only do we have hope, but we have an inheritance. Jesus came down to earth, and he lived, 
and he's given us, he has bequeathed to you an inheritance. Look, he says, um, verse 4, and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now, when you think of inheritance, what do you think of? I know what you're thinking. Yeah. I got money, lots and lots of money, you know. In the meantime, your uncle left you his dog. You know, you go, and I read the will. I know I'm in my uncle's will. Yeah, he left you a German shepherd that's eight years old. And you got to take care of this German shepherd for the next ten years. Um, God has given us an inheritance. Now, I want you to catch this. Heaven is our inheritance. He's given you a living hope that starts now. And it goes through the inheritance into eternity. Jesus rose from the dead, and with him, according to Romans 8:17, we have become joint heirs with Jesus. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus. And Scripture says that you are joint heirs with Jesus. Everything that God's giving to the Son, He's going to give to you. You are the child of God. You're joint heirs with Jesus. This means you get heaven. Heaven is your inheritance. And that's what the Scripture says there. Man, I can't make that stuff up. It's just right there. This is your inheritance. It's not just about hope now. It's about a lasting hope that lasts after we die. And folks, for, for Peter... Heaven wasn't just a destination. It just wasn't some place that I go to when I die. It was a motivation. He said, man, I get, to, I get to live my life here knowing that at the end of the journey. Man, I had an incredibly long day yesterday. I had, there was a funeral in the morning here. Phyllis Bickerton went to be with the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. She's received her inheritance. Man, when you get with older people... And they start to talk about that inheritance. It's amazing. When you're young, you don't talk too much about it. But as you're getting older, they long for it. Because you know you're getting closer to it. And, and so I would visit her. We had her, we had her celebration of her life yesterday here in the, in the auditorium. Then I got in the car and I drove to Sarver, PA. And there was a wedding I had to officiate. So I went from a funeral to a wedding. And then I got back in the car. And I'm driving feverishly to get here for Saturday night service. So I'm texting the boys. I said, hey, guys, I'll be there at 6.10. I got here at 6.08. I was right on time. They're amazed at my driving skills. <laughs> Starver is an hour and a half. Man, that was one wedding I ended on time. I said, we're out of here, right? I walked out the door. I didn't even stop at the cookie table. But I'm driving back, and I'll tell you, I've been thinking about that all week long. i got to do, this is like the longest day. And all I could see on my GPS is the countdown. You're 20 minutes away. You're five minutes away. Ah, I'm going to beat the GPS there. And all I can think of was there's no greater joy than the finish line. And folks, that's what our inheritance is. I've got motivation. Man, yesterday, going through that day, as I started the day, I was excited everywhere I was. But I was real excited about landing that plane. I was thrilled about the finish line. And this is what our inheritance is. Absent from the body is present with the Lord. When Jesus spoke about eternity, 
He spoke about real life. Man, we're going to get to be in heaven with the Lord. I want you to catch this because in heaven, the Bible talks about some realities. There's a street of gold in heaven. Man, I am going to be walking on a street of gold. I'm probably going to be dancing on it. Because I'll have my new glorified body by then. The scripture says we're going to get these new bodies, you know. These knees are going to work. And I'm going to have six-pack abs. I'm going to have hair. You might think I'm Fabio for a while, okay. There's just going to be hair flowing everywhere. But let me tell you, that's what it's going to be like when we get into heaven and God gives us this glorified body and we're with Him. And there's a reality that we will serve Him. There's the street of gold. There will be no more night. There's no more pain, no more sin, no more sorrow. This is our inheritance that we have to look forward to. We have hope now. The reward is hope now. And folks, I don't want to sell heaven too much because it's more about Jesus than it is heaven. Remember that. It's more about Jesus than the street of gold. But that's kind of a nice little side perk. And we're going to be in heaven with my six-pack abs. Hope now, inheritance that lasts, and the third is power. We are secure Trust in the Lord because you are safe, you are secure with God's power. Man, First Peter chapter 1, verse 5, You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You are being guarded. Don't you just love security? When I go to the airport, security somehow loves me. I don't carry anything that they have a need of. And sometimes they just got to double check. It's amazing. They must be waiting for me, you know. A few, few trips ago, I went on, to the, you know, going through TSA, put up my stuff. They scan it. And I walk through the metal detector. I didn't have my belt on. I didn't have shoes on. I didn't have any of that stuff. Okay, sir, would you please stand over here? I was like, you're not. He goes, yeah, do you want to do this here out in public or you want to do it in a private room? I said, you're doing it right here. And he takes his wand and he's checking everything under the sun. Maybe it was that Clark bar I ate the night before. I don't know what it was, right? But he, he flags me on security. Listen, when I'm going through those airplanes, you're looking at everybody around you. What's in his bag? You want it to be safe, right? You are far more secure than anything TSA can do or anything any government can do. You have a security. Your inheritance has been secured in heaven. Oh, I love what he said about the inheritance. It is unfading. Ooh, that is so good. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded. It doesn't just say that your heaven is guarded, but you are being guarded right now by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In the end of the story, you're crossing the finish line. You're going to be to heaven with God for the rest of eternity. And right now, as exiles, as we're navigating this world, you are running from things of this world at times. But let me tell you, no need to fear because God is here. 
God is with you and his power. It's not just, hey, you know, I, gotta, I have the right theology. No, you have the power of God upon your life and the very presence of God is with you. He will keep you. God tells us this about our salvation. In Romans chapter 10, he says that you have been saved. That's a past tense word. You have been saved. Folks, when I was seven years old, I came to this church as a little kid, and I can tell you the exact place where I have been saved, where I had my new birth, where my spiritual birth date was. It's downstairs in the yellow room, what is now the yellow room. That's where I opened my heart to Jesus. Somebody explained this to me, and I said, yes to Jesus. I have been saved as a past. And then he says, you are being saved. And I also said, well, what does that mean, being saved? Well, it means that he is going, taking you through the process of sanctification, being set apart unto the Lord, where God makes you more and more like Jesus. So at seven years old, I trusted Christ. I, that's my past. I've been saved. God is in the process of saving me today. He's transforming my life. Uh, The attitudes that I have 10 years ago, I don't have some of those attitudes anymore. Why? Because God is transforming. I am being saved by God. God is changing me. And so if you look in your life, you think you've arrived. Well, guess what? In 10 years, you'll look back and you'll say, wow, I was so arrogant at that point. Because I am being saved. We've never arrived. You won't arrive until you cross the finish line. That's when you arrive. And this is what God does for us. And so the future, future salvation, he says that you will be saved from the very presence of sin. In heaven, the street of gold, there's no sin there. And so I won't have to deal with my sin issues anymore. I won't have to deal with my struggles, my temptations. There'll be no more of the sin that will trip me up or trip you up. And we will be in the presence of God Almighty forevermore to worship and praise Him. And, uh, and it's just going to be this incredible inheritance that God has given to us. But folks, the, the way that you get this reward... The way that you get this, don't throw away your confidence, folks. The world is messy. Don't throw away your confidence. It's hard out there. It's tough out there. Don't throw away your confidence. You know, as a believer from Hebrews there, don't throw away your confidence. I tell you, I can be a confident person, but not in who I am and who Christ is. Don't throw away that confidence. Live and enjoy the reward of the confidence in Jesus Christ. And there's your reward. But how do you get that? You don't earn it. You receive it. Jesus told Nicodemus this. He said, John chapter 3, verse 7. He says, do not be surprised that I have told you that you must be born again. And for some of you this morning, do not be surprised that it's that simple as trusting Jesus that he died on the cross for you. Do not be surprised that you must humble yourself and be born of God. Do not be surprised. So my invitation to you today is, will you be born of God today? If you've not yet had this moment, would you make today your spiritual birthday? Would you surrender to God and say, God, 
I am a sinner. And I don't understand everything, God. But I know that I need you. And I need to be born into your kingdom. And I'm going to trust you with my heart and soul. I want that living hope. I long for that inheritance. And I thank you for your power. Let's close in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed. No one looking around this morning. I'd like to invite you to trust Jesus. I'd like to invite you to make today your spiritual birthday. Jesus died on the cross for you and he rose again. And all that you must do is trust him. Become born again. Experience the new birth into the kingdom of God, into God's family. So if that's you today, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. And you and God can do business. And this can become your spiritual birthday. You can pray something like this just quietly in your heart and your soul to God. Just pray, Dear God, I come before you this morning. And I admit to you that I'm a sinner and that I need a Savior. Jesus, you died on the cross. You paid for my sin. You were buried. And three days later, you rose again. And I invite you into my life right now. Thank you, God, for giving me right now a living hope, for giving me an inheritance in heaven, and for guarding me from this day forward with your power. And for others in this room this morning or watching online, God is speaking to you. Maybe you've been living your life without the living hope. Oh, you had it. You were saved in the past, but you're currently being saved. You've been distracted. You've been more worried about your houses and land or your relationships or all the woes of this world. I want to encourage you to live with a living hope, to remember your inheritance, and to enjoy the power of God's protection until the last day. God. Thank you for these words of Peter that he gave to a church that was scattered abroad. Lord, as we are following you, we need this message. God, thank you for the verse that we've taught these kids all week. Don't throw away this confidence in Christ. Oh, Lord, the rewards are incredible. And we thank you for showing them to us in your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we sing a familiar song. This is called The Living Hope. You've sung it many times. Now you know the scripture from where we have gotten this song. Let's sing it together and worship our Lord. Great. 
Amen, church. What a great morning. Amen. Thank you for worshiping here at Crossroads Ministries. Have a great and wonderful week.